Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right. <laughs> and so it's, it's, um, so it's important to spend that amount of time on Daniel 1. I, I really didn't. I wanted to get it done in two classes. We really have about two classes per chapter. Some chapters need a little more time, like chapter 2. Uh, chapter 1, only because of the introductory information, needed a little bit more time. Uh, chapter 3 and 4, and, and even chapter 5, don't need as much time. I'm not, I'm not belittling them. It's the Word of God. You need to know it. Um, but then you get into chapter 6 where you just get a lot more information about Daniel himself. Chapter 2 really is the, in, in the first half of the book, the historical parts of the book, uh, chapter 2 is just unbelievably important. This cha- chapter 2, so Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel 9, they set a timeline for prophetic events. All right, so everything else that's going to happen in human history, literally, from Daniel 2 until Jesus Christ comes back, the timeline for all of it is laid out in those two chapters. That makes those two chapters extremely, extremely, extremely important. And you need to get those two chapters as clear as you can in your mind. Because that's going to, and this is where, where people get off track with the book of Revelation and prophetic ideas and teaching about prophecy is they don't get oriented with Daniel 2 and Daniel 9. And so then they go and they start teaching silly things in the book of Revelation that can't fit in the timeline. Uh, there's a popular teaching out now. It's an old teaching that never really gained any popularity, but when men want to bring honor unto themselves, what they'll do is <laughs> uh, resurrect dead teachings and teach it again as though it was something new and try to pass it off as their own. But one of the things that they're teaching now is that the first three and a half years of the tribulation took place while Jesus was on earth. And they teach that because Judas is called the son of perdition, that he was the, the Antichrist or the... Uh, 
you know, he betrayed the Lord, you know, three and a half years and, and you're going to betray and all that. The Lord's ministry was three and a half years. So so they, they have some interesting points. They're just they all violate the timeline, especially Daniel nine. Daniel two is a general timeline. All right. Daniel two tells you from Nebuchadnezzar to Rome. This is what we have. Then Christ dies under Rome, and you have a big pause on, on political events when it comes to Israel and anything politically related until the, the church is taken away. Church is taken away. We go right back to dealing with Israel. We go right back to the Daniel 2's timeline. You go into the tribulation. Those 10 kings show up. Then the Lord Jesus Christ returns puts down his enemies, sets up his millennial kingdom. He reigns for a thousand years. Then Satan is released again, brings up another army. There's another battle. And then there's a final end to all of it. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes a new heaven and a new earth. And we move on like nothing ever happened. <laughs> and worship Jesus Christ for eternity. All right. So if, if whatever you're going to teach doesn't fit in that general timeline, well, then it's wrong. Right? And, and so then you get to Daniel 9, and it starts getting very specific. It starts giving you numbers and months and days and telling you very specific, uh, 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 a very specific timeline that fits perfectly with the book of Revelation. So, if you, again, if you're going to violate that timeline before we even get to the book of Revelation, <laughs> you're, you're way off track, and so you don't want to do that. So... We're going to try and the second half of the book is there's a lot to get into in the second half of, of Daniel, which I, I presume we'll do next semester. I'm really thankful that Brother Keith was willing to give me this extra time, um, something he did not have to do. And so it, it, it's helpful. We can spend a little more time digging into some things. Um, but you almost need two semesters just for the second half of the book. <laughs> uh, no, we're not going to do that. That's. That's getting a little out of hand, but, um, but I am thankful to be able to do it in two parts. That way we can uh, spend a little more quality time on it. All right, let's read verses 11 through 21 and uh, try to finish Daniel chapter 1 as quickly as we can. Uh, verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All right, verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee ten days, and let them give, give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon uh, before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. Now what's interesting about what he just said. Uh, as you read, I, I, I try to read widely about everything that's in this book as I study them. And, and one of the things that comes up often is, where were the other children? What did they do? Did they join Daniel and, and the rest of them or not? Well, that verse indicates that they did not. He said, let us eat pulse. They're going to eat whatever the king brings them, and you see which one is better. All right, that doesn't mean that none of them joined him, but the Bible only tells us about the four and this verse seems to indicate that the other children, which would be the, the ones that were brought into captivity, they had no real concern for what they were eating, even though it was in violation of, of, of the law of Moses. But Daniel was. Uh, so 
Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of of their meat and wine that they should drink, and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better, better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And David continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now, do you see what just happened there at that last verse? We go from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar to Cyrus. Seventy years. That's what chapter one just gave you. (laughs) With that one little verse at the end. Uh, Now, there's a couple of reasons why that's important. Sometimes when you're studying the Bible, I, I I didn't, I just thought about it. I didn't put any examples in my notes. Um, It it would be good to show it to you, but sometimes when you're studying the Bible, from one verse to another can be a huge time, expanse of time. Sometimes in the middle of a verse can be a huge expanse of time. So you've got to read it carefully, and and you've got to pick it apart and make sure what it's saying. And so it's, it's, it's important to pay attention to those details because if you were just reading this, you would think, oh, you continue till Cyrus. What was that like the next day? No, it was 70 years. <laughs> so you have to pay attention to those things. All right, now, um, Daniel 1.12, it's interesting. Um, Daniel said, I beseech thee 10 days, right? Well, if you look at Daniel 1.20, they were found 10 times better. So it's almost as though the Lord blessed their efforts in accord with their request. Uh, now, th- th- this is the other thing you have to keep in mind when it comes to, when it comes to this. Um, you had Daniel and his companions, and they requested 10 days, Right? He has nothing in the word of God that told him 10 days was going to be a sufficient amount of time for this man to look at him and determine that he looks better, thinks better, is is smarter and is doing better than the other Hebrew boys. I mean, who knows where they just came from? They they were just brought out of captivity where they were all under siege. So they for all we know, they were starving to death because that's what a siege is meant to do. It's meant to break you down. And, and deprive you of whatever you, whatever you need. So for all we know, they're frail and skinny and, and haven't had anything to eat. And then, and then secondly, they were just made eunuchs. <laughs> so they went, they went through whatever that process was to, to make them eunuchs. 
And we don't know how long it's been from that time until uh, Melzar came along and said, okay, here's, your, here's what you're doing on a daily basis. You belong to me now. You're going to do what I say. And Daniel says, we're not eating that. Well, the next step is you're, you're put to death. You're dying. Either you're going to eat what we tell you to eat, or we're going to put you to death. But praise the Lord, God gave him favor with, with Melzar and with the prince of the eunuchs, with Ashpenaz. And, and they, they were willing to grant him this 10-day opportunity. Well, he had no, he had no idea this was going to work. <laughs> he had no clue what was going to happen at the end of that, t- that 10 days. What if God didn't show up and bless? Now, I think what would happen next is Daniel would have said, I'm sorry, we're still not going to eat it. And so you'll have to put us to death. That's what he did when it came to prayer. He said, Daniel, you can't pray anymore. He went straight to the window as he had before, opened the windows up and prayed like, like he, he didn't. Again, he didn't have to do that. Why did he open the windows and let everybody know he's praying? He could have just went in his house and prayed. But no, he, he, he said, I'm going to do it exactly the way I've been doing it. I'm, I'm not changing the thing. And so he had no promise from God this was going to work. He just, it's like he just, I got to think of something. Give me 10 days. <laughs> and Melzar said, uh, are you trying to get me killed now? <laughs> He's like, I fear my Lord, the king, who will take my head. I mean, over beans? Yes, over beans. And so... So Daniel takes this chance, and it was a huge chance to take, uh, but the Lord blesses them. They were willing to trust God and not defile themselves. Therefore, the Lord blessed their efforts tenfold, or at least in accord with their request. Tenfold is probably not the, the right way to state it, but, but the, they asked for 10 days. The Lord said, I'm going to make them 10 times better. And again, it wasn't the beans and the lentils that, that made them better. It was God's blessing that made them better, but God's blessing came because they were willing to temper their bodies. They were willing to sacrifice and say, no, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, you, all the other children of Israel, they're going to go eat the king's meat. You let us obey our God and you see which one comes out better. That's basically what he's saying. He's not saying, give me a special diet. I know more about you know, dietary foods than you do. <laughs> he's saying... You let us eat in a a way that doesn't violate the word of God and you let them eat the king's meat and you see which one comes out better. That's what that's that's what he's suggesting to them. And because God gave them gave him favor, they were willing to do that. And um, as Christians, we live in a temporary. we, We also live in a similar temporary captivity and we are responsible to make certain we are transformed by the renewing of our minds and not conform to the course of this world. You're not in captivity to a, a heathen king, but you are, you are stuck in this world until the Lord Jesus Christ takes you home. And so you, you have a choice to either, either go with the course of this world and follow that flow, which is against God, or you can say, no, we're, we're not doing that. Now, Daniel was respectful. We talked about that the last time we were here. You had Daniel and you had, you had John the Baptist. Daniel said, would you, would you please just give us this time? John the Baptist said, you don't need to be marrying that woman. <laughs> Two very different approaches. The Bible doesn't indicate one was right and one was wrong, but, but they had very different outcomes. Um, one, one of them was beheaded. It just so happens the one that was beheaded is the one that Jesus said was the greatest 
man born among women and the greatest prophet born among women. And then the one who, who asked for time and was a little more respectful, a little more uh, uh, temperate in his approach, he got the time he wanted and God blessed. So it's not that one is necessarily right or one is necessarily wrong, but, but they will produce two different sets of consequences. And so you need to choose, choose wisely when and where to use those. Now, the proof, the test was for the prince of the eunuchs. It wasn't for Dan, Daniel. Um, Daniel seemed confident the Lord could do this. It's like the, what the Hebrew, Hebrew boys told Nebuchadnezzar. He said, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. It's like... Our God can deliver us out of, that, out of that fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to your, God, your, your, your image. We're, we're not doing that. So, so can God do this? Absolutely. Will he? I don't know. Whether he does or not, I'm, not going, to, I'm going to do my best not to violate his word. Even if that comes with serious consequences. So those Hebrew boys were, were telling the king, look, we, we know the consequences. The consequences are you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace if we don't bow down to your image. We're not bowing down to your image. God can get us out of that fiery furnace, but if he doesn't, it's still right for me not to bow down to your image and to stay faithful to God. So if you've got to throw us in the furnace, then we'll look for God's blessing in the life to come. <laughs> uh, it just so happens that the Lord showed up and, and surprised them in the middle of the fire. And God could do that for you and he could do that for I, but he hasn't promised that. He didn't promise these guys that. They just... They, they, they purposed in their heart they were not going to be defiled, and they remained true to the Word of God. Daniel was trying to demonstrate to these men who, who favored him that, that it was all from God. Daniel already trusts God. Now he does not know if this will work, but he is willing to try and demonstrate what God can do. And you also have to remember, he's not testing God. He's not telling them, my God will get me out of this. You know, that, 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 that's, that's like the, that's kind of the Pentecostal tendency today. God will come down and do this and this and this. You better, you better watch yourself. He may or he may not. Don't make those types of assumptions. Now, if you know, especially based on Scripture, you know it's something God can do, well, then tell him, God can get me out of this if he wants to. And so I'm going to remain... True to the word of God, because God can get me out of this. But if he doesn't get me out of this and I have to suffer the consequences, then I understand. I'm not violating the word of God in order to make you happy or the government happy or anybody else happy. My mom, my dad, my family, whoever. I'm not sacrificing obedience to the word of God in order to please other people. Because those are the positions you're going to get put in. They brought those Hebrew boys before the king and he said, is it true you're not bowing down to my God? You talk about an uncomfortable position. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no, they said, we're not careful to answer you in this. No, we're not, bow- we're, not, we're not bowing down to your God or to your image. Now, um, we're not going to turn there for sake of time, but Malachi 3, verses 6 through 11, God told the same people, the same people. Who are we talking about here? Judah. By the time you, so, so you, you're in Daniel, you're in the beginning of the captivity. They go 70 years through captivity. Uh, Cyrus takes over. Cyrus sends them home. They go back to Jerusalem under Ezra. They rebuild the temple under Nehemiah. They rebuild the city walls. 
Jerusalem is back to being a city and functional and the temple is there and the, you know, they're, they're kind of getting back in the swing of things. And then, you know, first they're supposed to build the temple, then they stop building the temple. Then Haggai comes along and starts preaching at them. And then Zechariah comes immediately after him and begins preaching to them. And, and under their preaching, they get back together, they rally again, and they build the temple, they finish the wall, and now the whole city is restored. The next book of the Bible is Malachi. God says, you're bringing me, you're bringing me horrendous sacrifices. You're robbing God. You don't do anything I say. Now, in Haggai, God blasted them. It's, a, it's an intense book. I mean, he, he rips their face off, and they repented immediately. They repented and got back to work on, on, on the temple. And Malachi does the same thing, and they said, what are you talking about? No, he didn't. When did we do that? When did we rob you? When did we bring you bad sacrifices? God, God is telling them what they're doing wrong, and they're saying, you don't know what you're talking about, God. We didn't do any of that. And, and so it's a constant battle and, and arguing. And so he tells them in Malachi 3, verses 6 through 11, prove me. He's like, I'm done arguing with you. Look, just do what I say and see how it works out. Was that not what Daniel is doing here? He's telling, he's telling Melzar, look, give me 10 days to prove, to prove God, to prove to you what God can do. At the end of those 10 days, if it doesn't work out, well, then you can throw me in the furnace. <laughs> I'm not eating your food. <laughs> and so um, he said, if you will, you might find I bless the work of your hands rather than seeing your labor be devoured. That's, that's in Malachi 3. Then in Malachi 4, you know what the last thing God told them was? I'm done talking to you. I have nothing else to say until Elias come. You have the law of Moses. Do that. Just, just go do that. Get out of my face. I have nothing else to say to you. And that coming of Elias was the coming of John the Baptist, in which he came and prepared a people for the way of the Lord. So, so for that's the, the so-called 400 plus you know, silent years. God said, you've got the law of Moses. I got nothing else to say to you. Until I'm ready to send the Messiah, I have nothing else for you. You're just going to argue with me. You don't listen. I've taken you in and out of captivity. Just do what Moses said. <laughs> See you when Jesus comes. <laughs> in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, the Lord said, Let your requests be made known unto your neighbor. <laughs> Is that what it says? No, let your requests be made known unto God. But is that what we do? We run and talk to everybody else and tell everybody else, and God's the last one to find out. <laughs> I, like, I wonder when you were going to come talk to me about that. <laughs> you, you don't talk to God about it. You don't speak to God about it. But you talk to your cousin. You talk to your pastor. You talk to the deacon. You talk to the ladies in the church. You talk to everybody else about it, but you never go and take it to God. And, and so that's... That's not the way we should do things. The Lord said, won't you come, won't you bring it to me? It's not wrong to seek advice. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. All right, so, so that is a good thing. But you don't want to leave God out of that equation. You've got to talk to him. He wants you to talk to him. He desires for you to talk to him. He desires for you to come and tell him what's going on. So, all right, Daniel chapter 1 is an excellent commentary on the faithfulness of God when man is obedient. Right, now, God's faithfulness does not wane. 
right? God is faithful, right? But the missing ingredient in most people's lives is obedience. What is God supposed to do if you won't obey anything he says? If you're running away from God, is he supposed to chase you down and bless you? <laughs> no. You've got to obey. You've got you to bring your life into, into accord with the word of God. And if you will do that, God will bless you abundantly. Now, everybody, the saved and the lost, the just and the unjust, they receive ample blessings from God. But there are particular blessings that will be made available to you, sometimes even in special situations and circumstances in your life, because you've been obedient to God. Otherwise, you're on your own. You can't live like the devil and expect God to bless you. You know, that, that one, of, one of my favorite sermons to preach is, you know, you have God, our Father, or you are of your father, the devil. Okay, so when I look at Bombali's children, like, you immediately know who, who those children belong to. <laughs> they look like him. In some ways, they act like him. When a father has a child, there's some resemblance between them, right? Who do you resemble? Which father do you resemble? All right, so if God is your father, then, then what, there should be some resemblance there, right? Hopefully this is you. And that when people look at your life, they see God has to be her father. God has to be his father. Or they look at you and they say, that person don't belong to God. <laughs> they can say it all they want. <laughs> They can run their mouth all they want, uh, but you are of your father, the devil, <laughs> and the lust of your father, I catch you doing all over town. <laughs> and so you don't want to live that way. That's, that's, you know, Daniel's an excellent commentary on what can happen if you will be obedient to God and let him work through your obedience. It's through your obedience that, that it works. You, you know, do you know, we, we see people all the time who say, man, that guy always gets the breaks. Seems like he's lucky. Everything comes to him. All this and that happens. It's, it's just, how does he do that? Well, he goes to work every day. He pays his bills like he's supposed to. He takes care of his family like he's supposed to. He's in the place he's supposed to be all the time like he's supposed to. And through that level of faithfulness and obedience... God can bless you. What if God wants to do something special for you and you just didn't show up? <laughs> like when I was teaching on uh, Titus in the last TBI, Paul told Titus, I'm sending somebody to replace you. I need you to come to Nicopolis and see me. What if Titus would have said, I don't care what you need. I'm the pastor here. <laughs> I'm in charge of this. Well, when he got to Nicopolis, Paul ordained him the bishop of, 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 the, of the church at Crete. Well, he wouldn't have gotten that blessing if he hadn't been obedient and willing to, to say, okay, the man who taught me, the man who sent me here is asking me to come see him. And he has sent someone that he trusts to take my place while I'm gone. And then he gets there and he, he's, he's ordained the bishop of, Nico of, uh, of the Cretans. 
Well, if, if you don't go where you're supposed to be and, and you're not willing to be obedient, then you're going to find yourself in a hard spot. Now, so, some, sometimes, you know, so I, I taught that. I, there's, a, there's a follow-up sermon I'd like to teach as well. Let me find this real quick. It's off topic, but it, it's sort of in line with what we're talking about. Because it, our, our brethren get uncomfortable with the idea um, of another pastor or, or someone telling you to come or go or to get involved in ministry or not get involved in ministry. And, um, and, and honestly, our, our pastors are really hands-off when it comes to that. It's up to you to figure out if the Lord's called you into ministry or not. And, and that, that doesn't quite seem to be the way it was laid out in the Word of God. It seems to be a little more direct um, all right, so, so the idea that, that came out in the, in, the, in the lesson on Titus and, and Paul dealing with Titus and, uh, and all the other men who, who trained under Paul, what, what it demonstrated is that Paul is sending them places. He's telling them, you go here, you go there, you come here. You know, he's, he's, he's telling them what to do and where to go. Well, look at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 16, 12. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. <laughs> so, so Paul is telling Titus, I need you to go to Crete. Timothy, I need you to go to Ephesus. You know, he's, he's got these, all these young men around him. He's telling them, I need you to go here. I need you to go there. I need you to go here. And he says, Apollos, I need you to go to Corinth. No, not right now. <laughs> Paul's like, okay. Right, who else can go? Or go when you can. Right, so so the, the idea is not that Paul was this harsh dictator telling people, you will go here, you will go there. He was just saying, look, I need you over here. And they, and they trusted him, so they said, okay, I'll go. But there are instances where Paul said, I need you to go here. And Apollo said, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. And he doesn't say anything nasty about him. He doesn't, he doesn't you know defame him in the verse. He just says, I want Apollos to come, but he just, he can't come right now. He'll come when he can. Right. So, so that, that, that's the balance to the idea. And and so, but regardless, I'm assuming Paulos was still somewhere where he needed to be and should have been and not somewhere that he should not have been. And then look at, um, let me see if I can find the other one real fast since I've already wasted time on this. Uh, Verse 14 as also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are, we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I was minded to come to you before, that ye might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, uh, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea, when I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness, or the things that I purpose. Do I purpose according to the flesh, that, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and, and in him amen, under the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us... With you in Christ, and hath anointed us in God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God to record upon my soul that 
to spare you, I came not as, as yet unto Corinth, not for that he, we have dominion over you. That's the verse I'm looking for. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith ye stand. So he's got this, he's having this back and forth conversation about things he wanted the church at Corinth to do. And he's, like, he's saying, look, I don't, I don't have dominion over you. you don't, basically, you don't have to listen to me. You don't got to do anything I say. But it would be good if you did. <laughs> it would be helpful to you if you did. All right, so so the, the, the idea of, of a single man, like a pastor in charge of a church, identifying men in his church and saying, I, I need you to go pastor this church. I need you to go be a missionary. I need you to go help that church. The men who were under Paul were willing to say, Paul's trying to accomplish something great for the Lord. Whatever he needs, I'm going. But then there were some people that said, no, not right now at least. All right, so so it's, it's a balance because... Paul, though he, he ended his life badly, uh, for the most part, in, in making some bad decisions, he was an unbelievable man, potentially one of the greatest apostles and missionaries that the Lord, that, that the Lord has ever had. I mean, that's, that's the way, that's, that's a man saying that, that but, but, but there's a good reason to believe that. And so he would be someone you could, you could potentially trust to send you in the right direction, to point you in the right direction. Well, that's not always the case with <laughs> men today. And some, some of them, if they, were, if they were taught what I just, what I taught that day in Titus and, and what we just talked about here, that they could just send men places, the power would just go to their head. So it's, it's important for you and for I to make sure we, we have a pastor who is temperate enough to be able to handle that responsibility. And if you don't, you're in, you're in danger. <laughs> Whether he has that ability to send you or not, if you have a man who's power hungry as your pastor, you got a problem. You got a serious problem. But as Paul could direct these men, these men could also say, no, not right now. All right, so, so there's a balance to it. That was the whole point. All right. Now, I'm going to read through this next part quickly. And you need to take notes on it quickly. And this might be important for a certain essay that you need to write at the end of the semester. Monique is excited. I like your excitement, Monique. It's a blessing. All right, here we go. I got to go fast, so take notes as you can. Uh, Ask questions at the end of class. Otherwise, catch the audio when it goes online. You're all looking at me like like I just dropped a bomb in the middle of the room. (laughs) Daniel the prophet is the title given him by the very Messiah of whom he prophesied. Daniel received one of the most pivotal prophecies in the Bible. An angel informed him of what came to be known as the 70 weeks, also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel was greatly beloved by God and kings alike, a feat hardly accomplished by any other man throughout history. That's hard to pull off. What's most remarkable is that Daniel lived out his beloved life in times of great turmoil. The wrath of God was poured out upon both Israel and Judah, with Daniel belonging to the latter. And yet he was fully able to remain faithful to the Lord and maintain his civil responsibilities to various kings of varying degrees of reprobation. 
Flagrant idolatry in Judah or dominating paganism in Babylon or Persia, they were not allowed to influence Daniel. As a man relentlessly loyal to God, he became an influence on Judah, Babylon, and Persia instead. That's what we're supposed to do. You're not supposed to let the world influence you. You're supposed to influence the world for Jesus, <laughs> not, not for any other reason. <laughs> you don't want to influence them to go rob banks. <laughs> you, know, you want to influence them for Jesus. All right, let me be, be particular. By the time Daniel was born, Israel had been captive in Assyria for about, 100, for about 100 years. I think it was about 115 years, but somewhere around there. This was a captivity that we never read of being overturned, not until the Lord himself returns. Now, Israel's wretched sister Judah would follow them into a captivity of their own 70 years in Babylon. The political decline was in line with the spiritual decline. This can be illustrated by the emergence of the great king Josiah. He did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he stood firm against Pharaoh. But in order to stand against Pharaoh, he aligned himself, ironically, with Babylon. It's just interesting. The sins of the kings before Josiah were too, were, were, were too great for the Lord to overlook. So Josiah lost his life defending Judah. Though he stood strong and brought about revival in Judah, he was not, it was not enough to deter the Lord's anger. Upon his death, Jehoahaz became king, but Pharaoh quickly disposed of him and made Judah tributary. This would set off a series of weak and impotent kings in Judah. Pharaoh installed Eliakim as king and changed his name to who? Jehoiakim. Very good. In the third year of Jehoiakim, the co-regent of Babylon set out to besiege Judah. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. That's good, though. He said Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that's, that's impressive. He remembered Nebuchadnezzar's father. That's, that's good. Very good. Nebuchadnezzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> Was still king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, as co-regent, had taken up many of the king's duties, including command of the military. He besieged Judah and demanded that Jehoiakim, Jeho- Jehoiakim, so we're in, in the next king now, surrender to his will. This must have been a very difficult spot to be in. As a weak and cowardly king, you already belong to Pharaoh, but now Nebuchadnezzar is knocking on your door and demanding that you submit to him. Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem and took Jehoiakim uh, captive. At this time, Nebuchadnezzar received word that his father had his father died, so he returned to Jehoi- he returned Jehoiakim to his throne with an understanding that uh, he now belongs to the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar returned home to Babylon, where he was crowned king after his father. Upon his return to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar took with him certain of the king's seed and part of the vessels of the house of God. Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. Does anybody anybody have their Hebrew names memorized yet? Good. All of you wrote them on your papers. so. So I hope you remember their Hebrew names. They were taken with this group. Of captives, eventually Jehoiakim rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, and therefore the king of Babylon marched on Jerusalem a second time. 
This time he took the majority of Judah captive into Babylon, save certain poor who were left behind. Zedekiah was installed as king over the impoverished band left in the land. And eventually, even they foolishly rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. The king of Babylon would march on Jerusalem a third time. This time he slew everyone and he, uh, everyone he saw, young man, old man, women, and children. It's best to obey God and not reach a point to where God says, there's just no remedy. Males are horrendous things to have to read, but it's the reality. And he burned Jerusalem to the ground. This would include the temple. All of this was accomplished as God had prophesied. It was judgment on Judah. Now, this is where, this is where the unbeliever comes in, and even some Christians. They have a hard time with this. They said, you mean God had him kill all those people? Yes. And here's why. Uh, we're not going to get too deep into this because we've got to move on, and it's not in my notes, so I'm, again, just going off of, off of memory. You have God. He is righteous and holy, correct? Who created evil? God created evil. Now, so that, so that you can substantiate that, turn to Isaiah 45 quickly. Because we don't have time for this. But we're going to do it anyways. Isaiah 45. Look at verse, uh, uh, verse 5. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Now, by the way, before we continue, look at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to... Who is that Cyrus? That's Cyrus, king of Persia. This is hundreds of years. This is, a hundred, this is I don't remember the exact number, but I, in my head, I'm, it's anywhere from one to 400 years before he was born. It doesn't even exist yet. God said, I'm going to raise up a king. He's going to be, his name is going to be Cyrus. He, he is my servant and he is my anointed. And I'm going to tell him what to do and he's going to do it. Now come back down to verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So then in rushes the Christian and says, God has nothing to do with evil. Really? God created evil. All right, now, so, so what, that, what that does for some people is they say, well, if you're God created evil, I don't want anything to do with him. Well, that's, that's the wrong answer. God created evil, but God told man, stay away from evil. You don't touch it. Don't look at it. Don't listen to it. Don't watch it. Don't participate in it. Stay away from evil. What did Jesus say about, about the disciples when he's praying in, in John? He said, I pray that you protect them from the evil. 
right? Now, here's the second thing. God's use of evil is righteous and holy. Now, I'm going to prove that to you with one of the greatest examples in existence. Man sinned, right? God said, stay away from evil. What's the first thing the first man and first woman do? They go right to evil. They, they wanted the knowledge of good and evil, right? All right. Man sinned. There is no remedy. You're going to die. That man's going to die and go to hell. The day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Right? Instead of that man dying, an animal dies in his place. That animal is innocent. That animal has done nothing wrong. In fact, as far as I can think of, every example of God speaking to an animal in the Bible, that animal or the earth obeyed him. It's only man who will not obey God. All right, so God committed the greatest act of evil known to man. Christ died for your sins. His brutal death on the cross provides salvation. So God used evil to produce righteousness and holiness. God can do that. You cannot do that. I cannot do that. So our admonition is, God literally says, I would that ye were simple concerning evil. Don't look at it. Don't listen to it. Don't read about it. Don't participate in it. Don't get involved in it. God said, you stay away from evil. When I need to use evil, I know how to use it, and I'll use it to accomplish my task. It'll bring about righteousness. All, thing works, all things work together for, for, for the good of God. It, it's, it's his world. Though he's not in control of it right now, though Christians keep saying he is, <laughs> he's not in control of it right now. There's a day coming when he will regain that control. But until that day, he intervenes from time to time and he says, I'm going to use evil here. I'm going to use good there. I'll use righteousness here. I'll use all these things to bring about certain events that I need to take place until it's time for me to come back and smash Gentile powers and set up my kingdom on earth. Everybody understand that? Does that make sense? All right. Good. All right, really quick notes about Daniel. I'll just give you the verse and tell you quickly what it says. You might want to write the verses down and make sure you have them well organized in your own notes. 
Daniel 1.6. Now, among these were the children of Judah. All right, so that'd be important to note. Number one on that list is Daniel. Daniel 1.7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. So Daniel was given a Babylonian name. Daniel 1.8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. So Daniel refused to defile himself. Daniel 1.9. Now God had brought Daniel in favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. God gave him, granted him this special favor among the men, his captors. Daniel 1.10. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? So Daniel is having this conversation with Melzar. And um, Melzar is terrified. Um, Daniel 1, 11 through 6. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants. So he's going to go through this discourse with him and just request that you just give me 10 days to prove to you what God can do. Daniel 1, 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. All of them had knowledge and and skill in all learning and wisdom. But Daniel was given this extra blessing of visions and dreams. And it doesn't necessarily say why, but it could be that because he took this place of of leadership, he kind of led the way in... in, um, not defiling himself, it's, it's as though God gave him this extra blessing. And remember, what we talked about is that these blessings, and, and I think it can be, in, in many ways, it can be borne out through, through the Word of God in, in multiple places, uh, the idea at least, but these blessings came to them because they were willing to temper their bodies. They were willing to be disciplined. They were willing to bring their body under and to control it. And so because they were willing to do that, God said, I'm blessing them. I'm using them. If God gave them these blessings and they had no control over their bodies, it, it, would, it, would, be, it, would, be, it would be evil. It would be terrible. And so because they were willing to control themselves and contain themselves, God blessed them. Daniel 1, 18 through 20. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And so they, they commune with the king, and uh, the king found them ten times better. Daniel one twenty one, and Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. That is 70 years worth of captivity. So that is, those are the notes of Daniel chapter 1 about Daniel. Now let's turn to Daniel 2. Daniel chapter 2. So we'll get in the first half of this. Let's see how much we can get done tonight. We'll read verses 1 through 13 together. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said unto them, 
I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. (laughs) I bet you will. Verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If uh, If you will not make known unto me the dream... With the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses be made a dunghill. Now, honestly, who cares what happens to the house after you've been cut in pieces? It just seems a little, why, you know, why didn't he make his house a dunghill first and let him come home and find it, then cut him in pieces? Once you've cut me in pieces, I don't care what you do to my house. Uh, so... Uh, and this is a common thing. We're going to look at it. It's happened multiple times in, in Daniel and in the Bible. All right, verse 6. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words and speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king. We can't do that. (laughs) That's that's basically what they're going to say. What you're asking us to do. Nobody can do that. It's not possible. Well, then why'd you take the job claiming that you could do that kind of thing? So we'll, we'll talk about that, too, when we get there. Um, verse 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, what else did they just say? Only the gods can show you that, but we don't know where they are. (laughs) They're not here. (laughs) So can you just tell us what the dream was (laughs) and we'll make something up to try to make you happy? Because this is not going to go well. Uh, Verse 12, for this cause, the king was angry. And very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Here we go. All right. That's a pretty tense situation. I mean, we we can read it now and laugh about what was going on. But you were not laughing if you were one of those guys. Um, it's a real situation. It really happened. And, and so let's talk about it. Daniel chapter 2 lays out a large portion of human history by way of prophetic dream. This portion of human history details the current relationship between Israel and the Gentiles. Now, when I say Israel, I'm talking about the nation, not, not the individual kingdom. In this, in this case, in this sense, in this context. Israel, all of Israel, has been taken captive... When they were removed out of the land, uh, world dominion was turned over to Gentile powers. The Gentiles will remain in power until the return of Jesus Christ. 
He is the stone cut without hand, cut out without hands that breaks Gentile dominion in pieces. This means the Gentiles will remain dominant in the world until the return of Christ. So then, nothing that has happened in recent history concerning Israel has done anything to change their dominated their being dominated by the Gentiles. The return of Jews to modern-day Israel was not and is not the fulfillment of prophecy. They returned to their current location in the Middle East under the guidance and permission of Gentile powers. Every time they bomb a terrorist or defend themselves, they are brought before the United Nations, Gentiles, to explain themselves. This will remain until the return of Jesus Christ. Now, verses 1 through 13. Nebuchadnezzar is frustrated by this dream. He's unable to remember the dream, and he will waste no time with men who are going to pretend that they can tell him the dream. Right? Uh, you know, let me go by the notes. I don't want to double up and repeat things, so I'll just stick with the notes. Nebuchadnezzar suddenly decides he will prove the abilities of the wise men and magicians. Right? So, so the premises of their job is that they had this ability to foretell and this foreknowledge and this magical ability to know things that nobody else could know. And now they're put in a situation where, remember all those things you said you could do? All those things you said you could do to get this job? Well, you better do it today. <laughs> and if you don't or you can't, well, I'm going to cut you in pieces. And then after I cut you in pieces, I'm going to turn your house into a dunghill. <laughs> it will be the city sewage dump. Uh, so this is not a good spot to be in. Uh, let this be a lesson. Be honest about your abilities. Do not mislead people regarding your capabilities, or you might be called out. Probably not by a Gentile king who has the power to cut you in pieces. <laughs> but if you lie to get a job, all right, now I, I've been blessed to get jobs that I was highly unqualified for. Uh, but... I was honest with the people, told them what I could do, explained to them my work ethic, and they said, okay, we'll give you a chance. And then usually I ended up being one of their top performers. Now, not because I'm highly intelligent, not because there's anything special about me, but in today's generation, if you just show up to work on time <laughs> and you're not on Facebook while you're at work but doing your job, the company thinks you are the greatest thing <laughs> that, that exists. This, especially in America, I, here, it's, it's not Facebook. They just do nothing. You go somewhere, you go in a store, you go to get something done, and they're just sitting there. It's like, does anybody work here? <laughs> yeah, I work here. Well, did you want to do that work? <laughs> or are you just going to sit there? Now, imagine if you were a Christian that believed the Bible, and you had that same job, and someone walked in, and you actually faithfully attended to them. What would happen? That business owner would say, that's gold. <laughs> Whatever that person wants, I'm going to try and give it to them. I want them to stay. Right, now, when I left my last job to go on deputation to come here, my boss said, if you ever need to come back, I will clean out my desk to make sure you have space. Now, that means a lot. That means he appreciated. I was, I was, all I did was show up on time and do my job and did it reasonably well. <laughs> And that's it. And doing that put me head and shoulders above the rest. 
and caused the company to say, that's someone that we need to hang on to. In fact, there was a whole situation, there are multiple of them, we don't have time to talk about them all, but just another example, they were going to ask me to work on Sundays for three months straight. Well, when they hired me, I told them I cannot work on Sundays. I said, I'll be available any other time you need, day or night. I'll, I'll try and make myself available, but I can't do it on Sundays. And they said, okay, no problem. So they hired me, we came in, we did the job. All of a sudden, they said, you got to work on Sundays. I said, sorry, I can't do that. And he said, well, everybody has to do it. I said, I understand that. I, I told you when you hired me, I can't work on Sundays. I was honest with them. I was upfront. I didn't get the job and then say, oh, by the way, I can't work on Sundays. So you're going to have to figure that out. No, I told them ahead of time, I will be one of your hardest working employees. I cannot work on Sundays. They said, okay, we'll give you a chance. And so they let me in. I, I ended up being one of their tier two people. I ended up being, I, I ended up, you know, being elevated, all that good stuff. And this, this is not about me. This is, this is about what happens when you do what the Bible says and you just work the way the Bible says. It's not about education. It's not about intelligence. If you just show up and do the job. So they said, you have to work on Sundays. I said, I'm sorry, I can't work on Sundays. I'm not going to be able to do that. I understand if you require that, but I told you when you hired me, I would not do that. So if you're going to force that on me, I have to go find a new job. And they're like, you'd quit over that? I said, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm, I can't do that. If you needed one Sunday, okay, I, I can... Once every couple of months, I don't want to do that, but I can, I can work that out. But three months straight, I'm sorry, it's not happening. And so the supervisor said, well, you got to do it. I'm sorry. I said, okay, well, I'll start looking for another job. <laughs> and uh, so he left, and one of the other supervisors came and said, so how'd it go? I said, he said, I have to work on Sunday, so I'll have to find a new job. He said, don't do that. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm just telling you, if I have to work on Sundays, I, I work any other time you need. I'm not working on Sundays. And he said, don't do that. Just give me one minute. So he went and talked to the manager, the big manager. He calls me in his office and he says, they will fix the schedule. <laughs> you will not be working on Sundays. And, and there was me and one other guy who worked there who were from my, our church. He, he helped me to get, I helped him to get a job in this industry. He ended up moving over to this company and then he helped me to get a job at this company. And so we, we had been, been together for a while. Now he is unbelievable. He's a freak of nature. He works harder and more intelligently than anybody I've ever met in my life. He's just, he's just, he's half Jewish. So that's what we blame it on. We're like, you get double blessings. You get the blessings of the Jews and you get the blessings of the church. And so, so um, anyways, we were the only two that were there. And the manager said, I need the two of you to stay with us. So they will fix the schedule. You will never have to worry about it again. And we didn't. I never heard anything about it again. It never came up again. And I didn't have to do it. Now, the only reason that exists, most of you know me, I am not the easiest person to get along with. <laughs> I, I, I can be brash and obstinate and difficult. I was the same way there. But I worked. I did my job. I did it well. I showed up on time. I stayed late. I didn't just show up and say, okay, you know, we're supposed to quit in 20 minutes. Can I just go? No. Do, do your job, do it well, excel at it. That was Daniel. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Daniel. Daniel is light years ahead of me, head and shoulders above everybody. But, but that's the general idea. If, if you work that way at your company, they will, they will consider you something that they should bend over backwards to help and to take care of. If you don't, then they're not going to miss you when you're gone. 
What if I had been late every day when they come and ask me to do something? I'm sitting on Facebook or taking a nap or doing nothing. And then they come and say, you need to work on Sundays. And I say, I'm not working on Sundays. They say, okay, good. Go find another job. (laughs) But you're not really any benefit here. We're paying you, but you don't do your job. So that, that's, that's not how you want to live life. All right. I don't know what calls. To, oh, yeah. Being honest about your abilities. Um, but a lot of people think, I've got to go to school. I've got to get this big degree. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. You just need to go get a job at a halfway decent company and work like they've never seen before. Work like you're working for Jesus Christ, which is what the Bible says. And that company will look at you and, and they will elevate you and elevate you and elevate you until, until you're the CEO and you never went to school. And it's all through work ethic. Right? So, and Uganda needs that. Uganda needs people like that. All right, they had no answer. They tried to manipulate the king, but he would not be manipulated. Uh, besides, he could not remember the dream. Now, some say... Nebuchadnezzar really remembered the dream, but he just didn't want to tell them. Does it sound like Nebuchadnezzar is worried about hiding what he knows? (laughs) He said, look, I don't remember the dream, and you're going to tell me the dream, or I'm going to cut you in pieces and make your house a dunghill. He doesn't have to show up and say, I really know the dream, but I want to see if you know the dream. No, that's not what's happening here. You ever woke up from a dream and it was an intense dream, but you can't remember it? That's what's happening here. All right, this has really bothered Nebuchadnezzar. And I've had that happen. I'm like, I'm trying to remember the dream. I'm like, what? There was something happening. What was it? You know, like you're, you're, you're just, you know, deterred by it. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was, was really taken back by this. And he's not the kind of guy to show up and, and, and try to, manipulate the situation. Nebuchadnezzar is, is as powerful a king as has ever existed. And so when he shows up and he says, You're gonna, you claim to be magicians and soothsayers and Chaldeans and all these astronomers, all this, all this psychedelic garbage, you're going to tell me the dream. We're going to find out today if you can do what you say you can do, or I'll get rid of you and your house. <laughs> Like, I still don't understand the house thing. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, they work directly for the king. Wouldn't their house, I mean, he provided their housing. <laughs> so wouldn't it be like in the king's court, like near the king's house? Turn it into a dung hill, make it something else <laughs> useful. Anyways, um, Now, again, I don't believe that was the case. Therefore, I don't believe he is hiding the dream. I think he genuinely forgot. And so it so disturbed him that he will not allow his employees to play around. There's there's no playing at this point in time. They apparently have claimed to have the ability to reveal dreams in a supernatural fashion. Thus, the king plans to hold them to it. Now, this is what even people of this ilk today, soothsayers and uh, fortune tellers and and all those type things, they play psychological tricks to make you think that they have prophesied or that they have found some lost detail of your life or whatever the case may be. Um, one time I was like, I was probably 16 or 17 years old, and I met, I had a friend, his mom was a fortune teller. 
that she had the creepy cards and she would flip the cards over and each card meant something about your life and all of that. And so I asked her, I was like, read my fortune. And she was like, you don't want me to do that. So yeah, I do it. Like, read my fortune. Well, she did it and it was unbelievably intense. It, it was surreal. Well, I went home later and read about it and, and it was all just psychological tricks. They, 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 they ask little questions, they say little things, and then as you accidentally give them more information because you're caught up in the moment, they use that to, to make you feel like you've, you've had this experience, and in the end, they really told you nothing. And it's all very vague. Like one of the cards was like, a, 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 it was a man running through a field of flowers, and she's like, this means one day you're going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I drink a Coke, it makes me pretty happy. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> so, uh, so they're always very vague. And, and, and so what these men want to do is if they can get the king to start talking, they can start manipulating. They can start using what the king's saying to tell him what they think he wants to hear. And, and they, know how to, they know how to use these things. Now, the, the Bible does indicate there is a time coming where these people will show up and they will be able to do what they say they're going to do. But that won't be a good thing. It's going to be used to try and deceive people. The, the signs of the apostles, when you start seeing those, really seeing those again, God says, run away from it. Because it's not God. It's, it's, we're, we're moving into a time and an age, and it's being used to deceive people. That's the point. That's the purpose. And so that's all these guys are trying to do. They want to play these games. Uh, this vision is important. It lays the foundation. It determines the basic timeline of prophetic, prophetic events. Uh, this timeline will be further developed in chapters 7 through 12. Now, we're going to talk about it here when we get to it, but it will be developed even more in chapters 7 through 12. Again, chapter 2 and chapter 9 are the main, that's the meat of, of the timeline. But, but chapter 2, chapter 7 through, through 12 all give some information related to that, that prophetic timeline. And we will get to all that. This vision cannot be overlooked or misunderstood. You've got to get this vision straight and, and understand it. All right? All right, the vision and interpretation happen in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 1 1. Let's read it again. Daniel, or excuse me. Uh, yeah, Daniel 1 1. Let's read that, and then it, it leads into what I'm what I'm got in my mind. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Daniel was taken captive in the third year of Jehoiakim. But remember that Nebuchadnezzar was still co-regent with his father until his father's death. When his father died, he returned to Babylon, taking the first wave of captives, including Daniel, and part of the vessels with him. Now look at Daniel 1.5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them, how long? Three years that at the end thereof, they might stand before the king. All right. Now, um, so let's, let's just, let's just keep, continue. When Daniel was taken, he entered into a three-year training program in Babylon. Yet in Daniel 2.1, let's read that again, Daniel 2 verse 1. 
In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. All right, so, so we're, we're, I'm, I'm trying to lay out another timeline here. So this makes sense because uh, the, the skeptics and the scoffers, they, they read Daniel 2.1 and they say, see, that's a contradiction. How can you be in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar? And Daniel is advising the king and Daniel is, um, he's going to be brought in with all the soothsayers and magicians and all these people. So, so Daniel 1, 1, the third year of Jehoiakim. All right, so then Daniel 1, 5, he's in a three-year training program. All right, now, what else happened in the third year of Jehoiakim that, that is significant concerning Nebuchadnezzar? Who remembers? Say it loud. Speak up. Say it like you're confident. He besieged the city. He took the city. Then what? He puts Jehoiakim. And then what? To rule for his God. And he goes back to his death. That's the key. Nebuchadnezzar, he goes back to Babylon in the third year of Jehoiakim and officially becomes the king. So then technically, the third year of Jehoiakim is the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Right? See that? No, Teo's shaking her head. So, is it the same time Nebuchadnezzar goes back in the same time as Daniel's and company goes back? Yes. So when he takes Jehoiakim and Jerusalem, he takes back with him Daniel and, and the others along with the vessels. All right. So this coincides with Daniel 1.1. Okay. All right, so Nebuchadnezzar is co-regent. Now, the Bible talks about him as king because he basically had full power of the king at this point in time. His father was at the end of his life. But then his father dies, and instead of being co-regent alongside his father, now he's the king. So it's, it's technically the first year of his reign when he goes back. And then we have three years of training. Well, so Daniel is in the middle of his three years of training. And then we get to Daniel 2, 2, the, the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. Does that make sense? Sort of, basically. All right. Does that mean that... So Daniel is still in training when all this takes place. But he's going to die with the others. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So Daniel just got this house and it's going to be turned into a dung. He's <laughs> like, I just got here. What, what did I do wrong? So... 
um, that, that's kind of what where that's where we are. All right. So um, Nebuchadnezzar was still co-regent with his father until his death. When his father died, he returned to Babylon, taking the first wave of captives, including Daniel and part of the vessels with him. Daniel 1.5, when Daniel was taken, he entered into a three-year training program. Yet in Daniel 2.1, Daniel has allowed this opportunity to serve the king as one of the wise men in the kingdom. Now, here's where people really get upset. Turn to Jeremiah 25. Or here, here's where most of the claims come for um, that, that this, this is incoherent or it's a contradiction. Jeremiah 25 and verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of... Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So now what do we do? Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, so it's, a, it's another way of saying Nebuchadnezzar. So it's the same person. All right, so now the fourth year of Jehoiakim is said to be the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, I just showed you that the third year of Jehoiakim was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Right? All right, so there are a lot of things to think about. A lot of things. He took Jehoiakim and Jerusalem in the third year, right? Then he had to go back to Babylon. How long did it take him to get back to Babylon? Hmm? It doesn't mention, but if you had to guess, from Jerusalem to Babylon on foot or on a horse, it's it's not a few days. (laughs) And you've got a massive military that you're traveling with. You're talking months to years. So is it possible that in the time he traveled back that we entered into the fourth year of Jehoiakim? If it took, if, if, it's, if it's July and it took him six months to get back, we just went from the third year to the fourth year. Right? Okay, so it's not, first of all, it's not unreasonable that, that it took him a while to get back and then to be crowned king. And now his first year is the fourth year of Jehoiakim. So somewhere between the third and fourth year of Jehoiakim was Nebuchadnezzar's first year. Like, I, I don't have a problem with that. Like, I don't see the issue. The Bible doesn't say, but we have to account for the time of travel. And it, like, people, want the, people want God to be unbelievably technical. And then they still don't believe him. <laughs> All right, so, so I don't think that's an issue, but there are some other explanations, and so I'll read these to you quickly. So then we would be, it, we would be around, uh, but at this point, Daniel had already been in Babylon for one year. So, so then we would be around two years into his training. Potentially, this, this also assumes we are speaking of two full and accomplished years. And that's what people have in their mind. They say, this has to be a full 12-month third year. It can't be sometime in the third. What if it was December? Is that still not the third year of Jehoiakim's reign? And then let's say it took Nebuchadnezzar two months to get home. Well, now you're in the fourth year of his reign. 
right? So, so it's not, there's not an issue here. It's not a problem here. You, you just, you've got to have some brains and you've got to not hate God. If, you're, if your goal is to try and make God look like he doesn't know what he's doing, well, you're going to end up looking like a fool and you're not going to find answers. But if your goal is to gain understanding, there's all sorts of possibilities as to what might have happened here. Uh, Some some suggest that when Jeremiah writes, he's using the Jewish calendar. And when Daniel writes, because he's in Babylon, he's using a Babylonian calendar. Hmm? Now, yeah, now. There was no Roman in Babylonian days. So they're not using a Roman calendar. <laughs> they have their own calendar. And, and they're not the same. They're, they're, they're slightly off. Did you know right now in Saudi Arabia, it's the year like 1485 or something like that? Somebody look, at, somebody look up real quick and see what year it is in Saudi Arabia. They have their own calendar that they use. So, as of July, as of 30 July, stay with me here, as of 30 July 2022, the the current Islamic year is 1444. Now, you you won't have anybody in the world today say, how can it be 2023 in America and 1444 in Saudi Arabia? That's a contradiction. No, they have two different calendars. And so it's not a contradiction. You just got to use your brain a little bit and not hate God. Because you have this bent on hating God, you, just, you automatically assume the, ne- you know, the, the, the negative. All right. So it is possible that if, that if we are at the end of the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, then Daniel has already stood before the king for review and approval. All right. So, so according to this timeline, if Daniel had already been there one year, and, and, and so if we're in the fourth year of, of Jehoiakim, Daniel, Daniel is in Babylon. And then we're in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, it's possible there's enough time in between there for, there for Daniel to have been there three years and he may have already stood before the king. I don't think that's as likely. I think it just took time for Nebuchadnezzar to get back to Babylon and be officially crowned king. And so somewhere between the third and fourth year of Jehoiakim, is, is, and, and this, this, so if you go back and look at Daniel 1, look at Daniel 1, 1 real quick. In the third year of the, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. How long had Nebuchadnezzar been king in Daniel 1, 1? It doesn't say. So you don't know how long did he besiege them. You can't, you can't make the siege you know, part, part of that timeline. Nebuchadnezzar besieged him, so then it makes even more sense that in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, that would be the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, which would be like the first or second year of Daniel, which means Daniel was not, had not completed his training yet, but was still afforded this opportunity. But there are other ways to look at it where there is a three-year period in between the third year and the fourth year going into the second year of, of Nebuchadnezzar that, that could potentially provide three years and maybe Daniel is done with his training. I think it's more likely that it just took 
It took a while for the siege, and then Nebuchadnezzar had to travel back to Babylon, and he became the king. So instead of the third year, the, the first year is the second year. Does that make sense? All right. I'm rambling now, so I don't want to confuse you. Come back to Daniel 2.1. Let me read this real quick, and then, uh, then I'll take a question. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled. How long does 2.1 say that Jehoiakim was king? It's not a tr- Huh? It doesn't say. So you've got to force the contradiction in there rather than just being reasonable and saying, okay, in the third year he besieged Jerusalem. In the fourth year, Nebuchadnezzar's... So let, so let me write on the board now so that you can see it, and I think it'll make sense to you. <clears throat> because in all my rambling, I think, I think you had it, and then in all my rambling, I think I confused you a little bit. So let me, let me draw it on the board. All right, so Daniel 1, 1, we're in the third year of Jehoiakim, right? All right, what's happening in the third year of Jehoiakim? Besieged. How long did the siege go on? I mean, we don't really know. I don't believe I've come across any verses that give us any real indication how long it went on. Could have been a couple of months. Could have been six months. It could have been a year. If it took a year, which a siege can generally take a long time, especially the more prepared a city is, it can take years to get them to break. The less prepared a city is for a siege, it doesn't take long. And you starve them out and they give up and they quit. So if we said it only took six months, now we're in Jeremiah 25, which is the fourth year of Jehoiakim. And is also the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. All right, everybody got that so far? Everybody with me so far? So he, he comes and he besieges Jerusalem. Goes back to Babylon to be crowned. Now, by the fourth year of Jehoiakim, now we're in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Then we get to Daniel 2. I'm sorry, the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. By the time we get to Daniel 2, we're in the second year. Does that make sense? All right, and so at this time, here, Daniel... is in Babylon, in training. All right? And so now he's in his training. So by the time we get to here, it looks like he's had two years of training. If we're in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, Right? Nebuchadnezzar has been king two years. He took Daniel back with him to be made king. Then Daniel's been in Babylon for two years. He's two years into his three years of training. Everybody see that? All right, so when this situation happens, 
it looks like Daniel hasn't graduated from his training yet. He's still in the middle of his training. Any questions before we move on? That was a lot. Yes. Why is it, is it Daniel is among the, the wise men and magicians? That, that's what he's being trained to be. Oh. So in, if you look back in Daniel 1, look at verse, um, yeah, verse 4. Children in whom was no blemish and well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. So in, in the, the men who are, who, look, at, um, look at chapter 2, verse 4. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever, tell thy servants the dream, and we shall show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, this thing, the thing is gone from me. So he's talking to the Chaldeans, astrologers, uh, soothsayers, and, and Daniel's being trained to be among them, to be part of the Chaldeans. So he's going to be part of this group who advises the king. And because he's already in their training and control, he's going to be put to death with them if somebody doesn't come up with an answer. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.